0: When we walk through the gates of heaven, I think one of the things that we're going to find there is a complete picture of God's sovereignty. As we come to see how some of the things that maybe looked like a coincidence were really a divinely appointed appointment, a divinely connected appointment. As we pick up the story today in Ruth chapter 2, what we're going to see is how God was at work behind the scenes. As he brought a man by the name of Boaz and this woman Ruth that we've met earlier together. And as we look at these two and what would become ultimately a life-changing event, it is an ultimately a life-changing event for all of us who are here today. Because this marriage that will ultimately come about ended up being part of the genealogy of the Messiah, Jesus Christ, who led to be our Redeemer for those of us today. So as we look at Ruth chapter 2, it begins here with a mention of a genealogy. As verse 1 tells us, now Naomi had a kinsman of her husband a man of great wealth of the family of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. Now because I've told you the names, uh, what the meaning of the names of all the other people in the book of Ruth are like, let me tell you about Boaz. His name means quickness or strength. A Fuller translation is in him is strength or in the strength of Yahweh. If you're using the New American Standard translation of the Bible like I'm preaching from today, it says he is a man of great wealth. The King James says a man of mighty wealth. And the New International Version says a man of standing. Now, it's not a focus on his bank balance here. Rather, it's a focus on his character. The same word was used of Jephthah and Gideon in the book of Judges to describe them as mighty men of valor, warriors. The word means a man of good reputation, valor, and a mighty warrior. As you think about this description of Boaz, it really stands in stark contrast to the other men we've met in the book of Ruth so far. In chapter 1, you'll remember that Elimelech died. His two sons also died, and their names meant puny and whining. And here we have a man who is described as this man of good reputation, valor, and a mighty warrior. It's not his bank balance, as I told you, that is in view. Rather, it's his reputation. As you look at Proverbs 22.1, it tells us a good name is to be more desired than great wealth. The focus here is not so much on his wealth. While it's going to be important that he's a man who's able to provide for Ruth and Naomi, it's more his his reputation and, better yet, his character. You know, reputation is what you are when everybody is looking at you. It's what you're known as publicly. But the true measure of who we are is our character. And character is what we are when no one is looking a true measure of your character is what you would do in a situation where nobody would ever find out what you did and you still choose to do what honors God. As I raise this question about your character and reputation, I want you to ask yourself a moment, a question for a moment. If we were looking at you and talking about you this morning, what would be said about you? Would it be things like we're reading about Boaz here? Would that be the description of you? As you look at this man, Boaz, he was the same publicly and privately. He, he was the type of man that took God everywhere that he went. As we look at him and as we look at these ladies and the need they had, Boaz is possibly this knight in shining armor that these ladies need. You know, the writer of the story here is he's introducing this character. And, and as he does so, he tells us that he is a kinsman. Now, this word kinsman, as we're going to find as we continue through the book of Ruth, is a very important word. But for the Hebrew reader, it, it, it really produces some suspense because the word that he uses here is the Hebrew word moda. It means a one who is related, a kinsman. And yet, it's not the word that we're going to find a little later in this series, a goel. This word goel would leave no doubt that this is the man who is needed to redeem these ladies. That's the literal meaning of the word. And so for the Hebrew reader, as they're looking at this, they're wondering, is he or isn't he? It's a great point of suspense as the story unfolds. Now, having created the suspense for the future, he brings us back to the present and their immediate need because verse 2 says, and Ruth the Moabite has said to Naomi, please let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after one in whose sight I may find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. Now, again, here we see the heart and the character of Ruth. Because I want you to remember that these are two ladies who have just been on a cross-country journey. They left Moab. They came back to Bethlehem. If you've ever been on a flight that is crossing international time zones, you know something called jet lag? Well, imagine these ladies who have walked all the way from this other country here. And they're tired. They're worn out. And the, the thing that they want to do most is just rest. But if they were to rest, there would be um, a delay in receiving the help that they need. Something that we saw in verse 1, back in chapter 1, was that the barley harvest was underway. So every day spent resting meant one less day to gather the resources they would need. Remember, these are two widows. They don't own land that they've cultivated. They don't have any means of support. And so the way that God had set up kind of a working welfare system of the day was found in Leviticus chapter 19. Leviticus nineteen nine through 10, we're told, Now when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap to the very corners of your field. You picture a, a field that's been cultivated, the, the corners or the outer edges along maybe the roadways or boundaries. It says, Neither shall you uh, reap the gleanings of your harvest. That's where you go behind and pick up the things that the first group missed. Nor shall you glean your vineyard, nor shall you gather the fallen fruit of your vineyard. You shall leave them. For the needy and for the stranger, I am the Lord your God. Now, remember that this is during the days of Judges, where not everybody is following God's law. This was the system he set up for ladies like Ruth and Naomi. You could go into the fields, you could gather the food you would need for that day and maybe a few others if you had a really good uh, time of harvesting. But uh, not everybody was following the law. And so when you think of somebody like Ruth, who was a foreigner, this Moabitess, She would be even less inclined to be welcomed into these areas to glean. Not only was she in danger of this discrimination, but remember she's a young woman. And many of the ladies here have had the unfortunate experience of walking past a group of men who uh, catcall or a construction site. Ruth would not just be walking by the construction site. She would be going right into it. She would be going into the field to gather, and there's these high stalks of grain, and she would easily be hidden among them, and they could molest her. So at the very least, it would be uh, best that Naomi went with her because there would be some safety in numbers. But as we look, Ruth, as Naomi is there, she could have said, "'You know, Naomi, I'm tired. I know you are. I am too, but you need to get up. It's time to go gather what food we can.'" You know, she could have even taken it farther and said, you know what, Naomi, why don't you stay? I'm going to stay here because I need to take care of my beauty. And you go. I mean, if I go out and work in the fields, I'm going to get sunburned. My skin's going to get leathery. As I'm breaking grain off, uh, my hands are going to get cut and calloused. And what guy is going to want to hold, you know, hands like that? And, you know, for the long-term future, I need to find a husband. So it's important. I take care of my beauty. So you go. You go. I mean, besides, this is your hometown. You know the people. You have the connections. You know where to go. But as we look at the story, Ruth doesn't say any of that. Instead, we see her care and compassion. And she doesn't throw a pity party and say, uh, boy, woe is me. Instead, she throws out the word please. It's the Hebrew root ra here. It's, It's not only polite deference, but it actually has the meaning of firm determination. What she's saying is, Naomi, I will not take no for an answer. You are gonna stay here, you are gonna rest, and I'm gonna go. She was respectful, but she cared for Naomi. Now we see Naomi is grateful for her thoughtfulness because she says, Go, my daughter. So she departed and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the portion of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. Now, don't you love the way that reads? She just happened. To come to the field, by chance, by coincidence, out of the whole area, she just happens to come to the field that belongs to this guy named Boaz. You know, have you ever had one of those coincidences that happened to you? And have you ever stopped to think that maybe it isn't lady luck, but rather it's the Lord who's at work for you? Proverbs 16.9 tells us, The mind of man plans his ways, but the Lord directs his steps. So what we read here is not just a coincidence. This is God's care. This is God guiding Ruth to the field where she would find favor and the food she needs. Now, as you're thinking about this, some of you may be sitting here this morning saying, you know, Roger, I could use some coincidence. I could use some help from God in some way. Maybe you're here and and your life looks kind of like the old theme song from Hee Haw. You remember that? Gloom, despair, and agony on me. If it weren't for bad luck, I'd have no luck at all. Anybody this morning feel that way? Maybe your life looks a little bit like this uh, advertisement that was found in the paper. It says, lost dog, $50 reward, black and tan dog of poodle and German Shepherd descent, flea bitten, left hind leg is missing, no hair on the rump, blind and recently neutered. Answers to the name of Lucky. You know, if you think about it, we're all just like that dog, aren't we? We're all of mixed ancestry. When you get right down to it, we're not much to look at. But we can still be called lucky. Because we have somebody who cares enough about us to not only go looking for us, but even to pay a ransom, a reward for us. Romans 5.8 reminds us that God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It says when we were sinners, far from God, in rebellion, way, way away, running from God with no desire to come back, God left heaven and he came to earth to go to the cross, to take my place in yours, to pay the ransom, to redeem us. Our master not only went looking for us, but he paid the ultimate price. And friends, as you're here this morning, I want to remind you that God loves you too much to forget you. He paid too high a price for you. He loves you and he cares for you. Sometimes what we do in our own free will is we run from God. We're far from him and he has to break us and bring us back to himself. It wasn't by chance here that God's care guided Ruth to the right field. Now, while we look at this, Ruth... Is in the field, and verse 4 says, Now behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, May the Lord be with you. And they said to him, May the Lord bless you. You know, as Boaz arrives, I want you to notice something. He doesn't just bypass the people, he just doesn't blow into work and, and go into his corner office and, and you know, shut the door. He shows care and concern for the people. He stops. He blesses them. And as he does so, we read here, and it says, and the workers responded, yeah, yeah, big shot blessings back at you, right? No. The people like him. They respond with a, a heartfelt blessing back. May Yahweh bless you, Boaz. He's somebody they like. He, he cares for them. He shows concern for them. You know, if, if you're in a position this morning as a supervisor, an owner of a, a, a company, maybe in charge of an organization or a group of individuals, do you look like Boaz? When you walk into work, do you just blow past people? Or, or is the first question out of your mouth about the bottom line? What's the profit and loss today? How much have we produced? What's wrong with this over here? Do you look at people as if they're just little cogs in the wheel to produce for you? Or do you really care about them and see them as people? And you say, what's going on in your life? Hey, I I heard your son or daughter was sick last week. How are they doing? Didn't your son or daughter have a game this weekend? How'd they do? Did Did they enjoy it? Did they, you know, score a run? Did they have their best time in the swim meet? Do you know the individuals who work for you? Do you talk to them? Do you show care and concern? The Bible tells us in Ephesians 6, 9 that we are to treat those under us with respect knowing that both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. God is no respecter of person or position. And as we look at Boaz, we see that he honored God in the way he ran his business and took care of the people entrusted to him. Is that true of you? You know, there was no separation with Boaz between the sacred and the secular. Brothers and sisters in Christ, if you come here and say Sunday is is sacred, this is about God, but Monday is secular, I can operate outside of of God and I can leave him here. Do you remember what we talked about last week where we're wearing a name tag that says, hello, my name is a Christian? Do you take God with you to work? When you show up at school, do you take him there? There is no separation between sacred and secular. The scripture says whatever you do, do all things 100% for the glory of God. As we look at Boaz, he was one of these guys who took and represented God everywhere he went. Now, it wasn't just with his own workers, but as we're about to see here, it was even with people like Ruth. Do you remember Ruth? What did her name tag say? Ruth the Moabitess. Everybody's calling her the Moabite. Remember that? Stranger, outsider. You don't belong. But look at verse 13. Then she said, I have found favor in your sight, my Lord. For you have comforted me, and have indeed spoken kindly to your maidservant, though I am not like one of your maidservants. You, you know what Ruth says here is, Boaz, I'm not on the payroll. I, I'm not one of your maidservants. I'm, I'm this foreigner. I'm this outsider. And, and yet you're treating me kindly. You're meeting my needs, not just physically in the food she was reaping, but do you see the more important need here? It was for dignity. He treated her as a person. He showed care and concern. He spoke kindly to her. Friends, whether you're the boss or the bag boy at a grocery store, we can all do this. We can all show compassion. We can all show kindness. We can all call somebody by their name. We can all just give them a moment, the gift of our time, to look at them and say, How are you doing? How are you really doing? You know, another sign that shows what type of master Boaz is, is seen by the fact that he knows who the people are that work for him. Remember, he's walking into a field. There are day laborers. There are crews out. There's a supervisor over. And as he walks in, he's able to notice somebody new is on the job. Look at verses 5 through 7. Then Boaz said to his servant who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant in charge of the reapers answered and said, She is the young Moabite woman who returned with Naomi from the land of Moab. And she said, Please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. Thus she came and has remained from the morning until now. Can we turn the volume down just a little, please? Thus she came... Not that much. <laughs> Thus she came and has remained from the morning until now. She has been sitting in the house. For a little while. You know, what the foreman says is, well, she's the widow. She, she's that woman we all know about, the one who came back with Naomi. Now, he's answered the question. He, he could have just stopped right there, right? But did you notice what he said? She's a hard worker. You know, she came into the field at the very start of the day. She's been working all day. She's just now taking a break. And you know what? She's polite. She said, please. Remember, she said please to Naomi. Now she says please to this guy. You know, the law said that you could just walk up to the field and you could just start to glean from the corners. But she checks in at the office. And she says, please, sir, can I, can I, re, can I glean here? Can I gather food? And, and through her, her demeanor, she wasn't demanding, hey, I have a right to be here. Let me get some stuff. And and she wasn't complaining about how hard her lot was in life. Instead, she just dug in and started working hard. And because of her demeanor and her diligence, it's it's made her get noticed. The foreman says, yeah, let me tell you about her. Some of you have heard of Jim Collins. Jim Collins is a best-selling author. He's a corporate consultant. He's written all kinds of great books like Good to Great. And in Good to Great, he talks about what makes a company exceptional as he studied all these successful organizations, corporations, he said, what what are the things that set apart the good ones from the great ones? And one of the things Colin found is that there is something called, as he terms it, a level five leader. These these ultra-exceptional companies have have a leader at the top, a president, CEO, some key man or woman in the organization who is what he terms a level five leader. Now, in discovering these things about successful corporations, many of them have paid Collins huge amounts of money to come in and make their companies like this. They say, we want you to teach our executives the secrets. We want you to make our leaders these level five leaders. So Collins collects his fee. He comes in. He meets with the board and the the individuals. He assesses them. And then he says, okay, here's one of the core secrets of a level five leader. You ready for this? They say, please and thank you. All the moms are saying, kids, you owe me huge. <laughs> right? They say please and thank you. Now, it's not a please or thanks. You know, it's not fake. It's not manufactured. Rather, it's, it comes from the heart, back to the character issue. Ultimately, what it means is no matter how high up you are in the organization, you have an understanding that everybody with you is worthy of respect. In fact, as servant leaders, what the scriptures say is the higher you go up in an organization, you turn the pyramid upside down. It's not you're at the top, you flip it. And the higher you go, the more you understand you serve everybody under you. And so as we look at Ruth, she was somebody who could do nothing for Boaz. She could do nothing for anyone. And part of this level five leadership understanding is you don't look at people based upon their status or position and what you can get from them or what they can do for you. You just treat them with respect. And this is Ruth. She's marked by uh, this polite deference to people. Please. But remember, it's not a doormat. She's very firm in how she comes across. Now, verses 8 through 9 tell us, Then Boaz said to Ruth, Listen carefully, my daughter. Do not go glean in another field. Furthermore, do not go on from this one, but stay here with my maids. Let your eyes be on the field which they reap and go after them. Indeed, I have commanded the servants not to touch you. And when you are thirsty, go to the water jars. Drink from what the servants draw. Now, I don't want you to pass over this verse very quickly because it's loaded with great grace. First, I want you to notice Boaz doesn't talk to Ruth, calling her what? The Moabitess? He says, my daughter. He recognizes her as an individual. You know, you're somebody's daughter. You're not faceless. You're a person. You're not a racial category. You're an individual. He gives her the gift of dignity. Next, he grants her permission to glean among the sheaves. Now, remember, Leviticus 19 said you could go to the corners of the field. What Boaz is doing is saying, I want you to come right here into the center of the crops the area that has been cultivated, watered, fertilized, taken care of. Along the corners, there was not only all this competition with everybody gleaning, but that's where the weeds and the neglect and other things happened and the crop yield wasn't as great at times. And he says, I want you to come into the heart of the field, the best of the best. And I want you to follow after the reapers. These, these are the guys coming through with those scythes, you know, cutting the grain. You're not going to have to go in there and individually break off uh, these stalks of grain." It's going to cut down immensely on the workload as well as her hands getting injured. Now, the danger for Boaz is is she's right there and all this loose grain is lying around. She could just start grabbing handfuls, not only of what's been cut, which she's supposed to follow after. Remember, it says that you glean and what's left over she could gather. But it's also where they pile up all the, the gathered grain. So she could just walk by one of these piles and grab immense amounts of, of already harvested grain. But her character, her reputation has gone before her. She showed care for Naomi. She's been a hard worker. She's been polite. Boaz says, I'm going to take a risk with you. You know, the Bible tells us if we're faithful in a few things, God will give us greater things. And that principle applies in all areas of your life, men and women. If you're faithful in little things, people will notice, and they will give you greater responsibility. It's how you earn greater trust. Do you keep your curfews? When your parents set a time for you to be home, do you follow through on what you said you would do? Is your word really as good as a legal contract? And as individuals get to know us as men and women, boys and girls of excellence, and those whose word is our bond, and those who will work hard, you will be given greater and greater responsibilities, not ultimately in heaven only, but even here on earth. And as we look at Ruth, is your life like hers? Are you building a reputation like this that earns the trust of others? You know, as I talk about reputation and character and other things, do you realize it can take decades to build and a moment to lose? You ever heard of anybody named David Petraeus? Here's an individual that had 30 years climbing all the high echelons in the military. He was given a a, a plum position in the government, and it was lost like that for what? stupid affair. And it can happen with us. The next time you're tempted by something, just look at what you stand to lose and ask yourself, is it really worth it? And when you compare it to God's word, you see that it's not. Now, in addition to giving Ruth access to the field, Boaz tells her she is also to partake of the benefits of the paid people. He says, go use the company break room. He says here in verse 9, when you're thirsty, go to the water jars, drink from what the servants draw. Now, if you understand the the culture of the day, there were two people, two groups of individuals who were responsible for drawing water. It's not like our day where you can just go to the water fountain in the hallway or turn on a spigot and it's there. Gathering water consumes an immense amount of everybody's day in countries where there's not a readily uh, a source of water readily available. They have to hike miles to the river. They have to draw the water. They have to hike back. Others in this day would have to go to one of those wells that had been dug out in a distant area. And the two groups of people responsible for drawing water were women and foreigners. And Ruth is both. But what Boaz says is, I'm going to elevate your status again, and I will have others draw the water for you. It saved her immense amounts of time and travel and effort, as well as once they communicated again is, I don't see you as the bottom of the rung. Now, as we look at Ruth receiving these, these various blessings, she had gone out that day just hoping as a day laborer to find enough food for one, maybe two days. Did you notice what else Boaz said to her? The last thing he said is, and I want you to come back tomorrow, and I want you to follow along, come to this field. And he said, notice where my reapers go and you follow them. What he's saying is when they finish with this field, they're moving to this one, to this one. And another thing is we saw that Ruth and Naomi returned at the beginning of the barley harvest. That was around March and April in the agrarian calendar of Israel at the time. And after the barley harvest, the wheat would mature and that harvest would begin, which would go through June, July. And so what Boaz says is you were standing here hoping to find one day of work and you've suddenly been given a contract for a multi-month job with benefits. You see how amazing this is? This This would have just provided food not just for a day but for months, maybe half a year at least is guaranteed at this point. How many times have you had something like this happen to you? where where you were hoping just for this, and God gave you this. And he blessed you abundantly and in unexpected ways. In verse 10, we see Ruth's response. It says, Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your sight, that you should take notice of me, since I'm a foreigner? Ruth says, Don't you see my name tag?" I'm a foreigner. She falls on the ground, bows to the ground. There's a tribe in West Africa called the Massey tribe. And when they want to say thank you, the way they say thank you in that culture is they come up and they get in front of you and they put their face in the ground and they stay there with their head in the dirt. Another tribe in that area will come to your hut, your house, and they will sit on the ground in front of your house all day long in the dirt. Everybody walking by says, hey, Roger, what's going on? And you're just sitting there in front of the house. They understand something about thankfulness. You see, it's accompanied by humility. It's an understanding that you humble yourself and you say, you know what? I don't deserve this. Men and women, I know some of you here are very successful, and you have worked hard in your life for things. But have you ever stopped to think that ultimately all that you have came from God? God gave you the gift of life. He gave you health to be able to work. He he gave you the gift of a sharp mind, on and on. And ultimately, all that we have belongs to God and comes from God. And do we, at the heart of it, humble ourselves to the point where we say to God, Thank you. I am blown away, God, by your grace. By all that you've done for me. When is the last time you really stop just to think of all that God has done for you and to to sit in the dirt, so to speak, to linger in your prayer time, listing out all the blessings that God has given to you? You know, so often what we do is we do these quick hit-and-run prayers, getting right on to our next need, our next want, and we don't spend the time to linger and to thank God for the blessings. When is the last time you were, you were blown away as Ruth was here? She, she recognized that what she was given was above and beyond anything she deserved. In verse 10, she as a foreigner had just received heen. That's a Hebrew word that means grace, favor, acceptance. There, there's a word play in the Hebrew text. She says, a no key, no cre. Literally, it says, to notice me and I am a foreigner. She says, God, why? Why did you notice me? You know, Ruth was living her life sticking out like a sore thumb. Everybody said, there's the Moabitess, there's the foreigner. She would have dressed differently. She had nothing. She was unknown. Everybody was talking about her in town. Remember Boaz and the foreman? They said, oh, yeah, this is that foreign widow that everybody's been talking about in town. You know, one of the assignments I had when I was a police officer in Dallas is I worked the bike patrol downtown. If you've been to the Riverwalk, you see the San Antonio police on, on bikes? I did that for a couple of years. I rode a 21-speed mountain bike around the Central Business District. And, and there were tourist places downtown Dallas. One of the tragic ones was the site where Kennedy was, was assassinated, President Kennedy. And you would see all these tourists who would come. And, and it was also the Central Business District. Hundreds of thousands of people were coming to work. There'd be men and women in their business suits standing on the corner, rushing to their buildings and just going by. And among these crowds on the corner, you'd see, you know, a tourist. Now, you didn't need very uh, sharp investigative skills to pick some of them out. They'd be wearing, you know, the Bermuda shirt and shorts. They'd have a big camera around their neck. Uh, They'd have black socks with those brand-new cowboy boots they had just bought (laughs) and their their 10-gallon hat on the corner. And they'd be standing there among all the people. And, and in the police department, we had a, a very official term for them. We called them volunteer victims. You see, because we said they might as well just be wearing a sign that says, I'm not from around here. Rob me. Right? And this is Ruth. She says, to notice me. And I'm a foreigner. She says, that's no big deal. Everybody's been doing that. But then she says, why heen? Why grace? Why favor? Why acceptance? You know, as we look at Ruth here, friends, I want to remind you that all of us are just like Ruth. Because what the Bible says about us is, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 3.10 says, there is none righteous, no, not one. What God says is, we're all foreigners. We're all outsiders. And yet God gave his heen, his grace. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 tells us, For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, that no one should boast. When is the last time that you just stopped and said, God, why? Why, God, would you notice me and show grace? Grace to me. You know, this may surprise you, but I have people on a regular basis who say to me, Roger, why do you share the gospel so much? You know, everybody here is saved. You know, I need to talk to the ushers because these unsaved people keep getting in the doors. They they don't lock the doors. Several times a month we see people come to know the Lord here in these services and in the classrooms and others. Praise God for that. And you know what they're really saying to me is, Roger, look, I've been there, done that. I got the T-shirt. I checked it off. I came to Christ. I don't need to be reminded about God's grace anymore. Friends, if your heart has grown cold to the grace of God, if it no longer moves you, if it no longer excites you, I pray that God would reignite that in your life. You know the best way to have that reignited in your life? It's to go out and share the gospel yourself. And when you encounter somebody who encounters the living Lord and comes to faith in Christ, and you see the change in their life, it will change you. I pray that I never get to the point where God's grace doesn't overwhelm me, doesn't blow me away. And this is Ruth. She says, grace, why? Now, in response to her question, Boaz answers it this way in verse 11 through 12. All that you have done for your mother-in-law after the death of your husband has been fully reported to me and how you left your father and your mother in the land of your birth and came to a people that you did not previously know. Do you think people have been talking about her around town? He says, may the Lord reward your work and your wages be full from the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to seek refuge. You know, we live in a day where the popular saying is pay it forward. Somebody does something good to you, you pay forward. Somebody in the drive through line bought your drinks. You buy the one in the car behind you. And, you know, we hear these great stories that are going on. Boaz is not just saying, hey, I'm paying it forward, Ruth. What he's saying here is God is fulfilling a prayer request. Do you remember what we saw back in Ruth 1.8? There it said that Naomi prayed that God would repay the Hesed the kindness. Remember Naomi's prayer to, to the girls? May God show his chesed. May he repay the kindness you've shown to me and the dead. And what Boaz says is this is not just paying it forward. This is God fulfilling a prayer. And then he prays a prayer for her. He, he says, may the Lord reward your work and your wages be full from the Lord. You see what he says in verse 12 is, Ruth, you have faith. You've become a follower, he says, in Yahweh, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to seek refuge. If you're somebody who writes in your Bible, underline the word wings. Circle that word. It's the Hebrew word kanaph. And, and this is a word that we will see is very, very significant when we get to Ruth chapter 3, verse 9. Because when we get to Ruth chapter 3, verse 9, you can circle that word and make a note in the margin and see what verse 9 says there in chapter 3. You know what is so cool is that Boaz will end up being the answer to his own prayer. He says, may God cover you with his wings. And there Ruth is going to say, spread your covering over me. Become my husband. Be the one who will provide and fulfill and protect and do all that I need. And as we, we think of this word, This word, "kanaf" is used to describe the wings of a bird as it gives shelter to its young. Here's a picture of what is being asked. May God cover you. And as you read through the scriptures, this word is found over and over, speaking of God and his protection and his provision for his people. In Exodus 19.4, God said, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Psalm 57.1 says, In the shadow of thy wings I will take refuge until destruction passes by. Psalm 91, one through 4 says, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, My refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust, he will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you may seek refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a bulwark. Friends, it's not just Old Testament stuff. It's Matthew 23, verse 37. As Jesus came into Jerusalem, as he was entering the city, preparing to go to the cross, remember it was uh, everybody celebrating and the Lord praising, and hey, Jehovah's you know, Savior is here. They're celebrating Christ coming, Palm Sunday. And everybody's crying out and celebrating. And what did Jesus do? He cried. He stops, he overlooks the city, and it says in Matthew twenty-three thirty-seven, "O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. And you were unwilling. The picture that Christ says is, I am coming into the city, not to be crowned at the moment as the earthly king, but I am coming to spread my arms, my wings open wide, to be the covering, to shed my blood, to wash away the sins. I am indeed Hamashiach, the Messiah. I am the one coming, but I am coming for the purpose of going to the cross, to spread my arms wide, to give my life, to give you the gift of eternal life. But many of you will reject me. Many of you will turn from me. You will not receive me. As you think about what Jesus was offering, a beautiful picture was seen in, in a group of smoke jumpers. These are the, the firefighters who parachute into areas where there are raging fires in forest and mountainous areas. And as they were hiking through a burned out area where a flash fire had come through, this, this crew writes in their report that they found a, a, a bird that was sitting kind of in a squatted position with its wings cupped. And it was really strange looking the way that it was like that. And this fire had passed through very quickly, and this bird was badly singed and burned. And they couldn't really tell, is it alive? You know. And so one of the, the firefighters took a, the edge of his shovel, and he just gently poked the bird. And when he did, he found that the bird was indeed dead, and it fell over. And as it did, out from under its wings scurried a bunch of live chicks that were untouched. The mother bird could have easily flown away and saved its own life, but it covered with her wings, and gave her life to give them life. And friends, that's what Jesus did for us. He spread his arms wide. He covered us with his wings. And he gave his life to give us the gift of new life. If you're here today and you've never approached the cross, never come to Christ and said, God, I am coming under your covering wings. I'm giving my life to you, Jesus. I accept your death in my place That is the grace, the heen that God offers to you today. What is keeping you from accepting that great grace? And for the rest of us who have come to faith in Jesus Christ, I pray that we would be those who who understand what that great gift means. That we would not be those who just pass over it, but like Ruth, we would be blown away. That periodically we would just sit and linger and say, Why, God? Why would you show me, a foreigner, a sinner, one far from you, the great love to come and give your life to save me? I want to invite our worship team up now. And we're going to end today by singing a song, Amazing Grace. And as we sing this song, I don't want it just to be something you've said. I've sung that so many times, the words are just kind of rolling through your mind and your mouth. I want you to focus on the words. I want you to make these words your prayer, your prayer of thanksgiving, to say to God, thank you. Thank you for your great gift of grace. There will be prayer leaders at the front in a moment. If you're here and you need to receive that great gift of grace, come to the front and talk with one of us. But for the rest of us, stand and thank God, singing this song.
1: Amen. grace claim you are. you all. Have a great week.